I would say, here's something that may surprise a lot of your listeners, depending on where they are. People short sell American men. American men are much in demand because in our culture, I know a lot of people who are very progressive, value the progressive culture, but it's that conservative set that's significant of guys who believe in, you know, protecting their families and taking care of their families and having a wife and kids that they are there for. And that kind of cultural norm is enough of our culture in America that American men are actually highly in demand worldwide as partners. If I had to choose a nationality of the cultures, countries that I've lived in, the last place would be France. I found the French culture to be, I, I just don't see what women really get out of it. I mean, the men feel that they're just God's gifts. And no, I'm not, not impressive. I'd say um, American men would be at the top. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist, branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today, my guest is Dina McMillan. She is an American social psychologist living in Australia and specializing in relationships. She's a prolific author. So she's written a book called But He Says He Loves Me, uh, which she's recently released an audio book version of. Um, related to that, she has an educational program called Unmasking the Abuser, which is also the name of her TED Talk and her podcast. It's the only domestic violence prevention program. And uh, she has a new book coming out called Fascination with the Devil, Why Women Love Emotionally Dangerous Men. She also authored a chapter in Cynical Therapies, uh, which was put together by a group I'm connected with called Critical Therapy Antidote. You may recognize previous guests, Carol Sherwood and Christine Seifen, who also authored chapters. You might also recognize uh, some of the therapists featured in our film, No Way Back, The Reality of Gender-Affirming Care. So Sasha Ayad, Lisa Marciano, and Stella O'Malley all also authored chapters in that book. Um, so Dina is an expert on abuse and domestic violence prevention. Um, she also is the creator of a program called Healing the Rift, which is an anti-bias program that is an alternative to critical race theory. So uh, we're going to get into all of that today. Dina, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here on my podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So you just released uh, this book called Fascination with the Devil, very catching title, by the way, um, Why Women Love Emotionally Dangerous Men. So let's start there. Why do women love emotionally dangerous men? Oh, isn't that something? Well, one of the things is I work in domestic violence so avidly and have done for so long, but that's not all I do. I also work with a wide range of relationship problems, but also... I work to help people fix them. I'm the type of person, I'm very what they call task-oriented. So when I see a problem, I'm 
immediately thinking, what's the alternative? And I have to say, in the 20 years that I have been working as a social psychologist, I have seen more and more women have serious problems having any kind of relationship at all and getting involved with the kind of men that were more rare as a partner when I was younger. So I felt this book was really important because it's not just, you know, abusers are included in the book, but they're not the focus. The focus is on different types of men like cheaters, like commitment phobic men, um, rebels, you know, getting involved. I see women getting involved with men who they got involved with them because their family won't like him or because he's very good at selling himself at, as a victim and they feel sorry for them. They get involved with them and then their lives are ruined. So I, and there's another type that I come across and it's called an intense burnout. And the intense burnout is the kind of guy who is looking to, for those, that first flush of being in love. And as soon as it passes, he's gone and never looks back. And he leaves, and he's an emotional tornado. He leaves absolute destruction in his wake. So I wanted women to understand that it wasn't their fault if they had bad taste in men, if the guys they get involved with are cheat, lie, losers, whatever, it's not your fault. There are factors in our society that condition women to think we can fix any problem with a man. So we discuss that in the book. And then I give some real steps on what to do to actually change your taste. Because I think the solution is not to force yourself to get involved with someone you're not really attracted to. You know, the kind of women that are attracted to the bad boys. If you go with a good guy, you might keep telling yourself, oh, he's a good man. But if he doesn't really touch that place that those bad boys did, if he doesn't really stir your desires, you're going to be miserable. And it's going to happen over the years. So I felt it was just time because I look at what's out there, the podcasts that are out there about relationships, the content that you see streaming, the films, and they are making life very, very hard for women to find a good guy for a solid relationship. You've actually noticed a trend Yes. Through media, through people you've worked with, that it seems, I, I thought it was interesting how you phrased that. Not just there there are more bad guys, but no, that, that women, more women are being attracted to men that are not healthy for them. And I like how you said, on the one hand, their behavior is not your fault. It's not your responsibility. On the other hand, you can find that personal agency to change your tastes. And you all articulated quite beautifully, this dichotomy in how um, women who have this recurring pattern tend to think about it. What it reminds me of is the way people think about food when they have an unhealthy relationship with food. It's sort of like um, food that tastes good is food that's bad for me. And food that's good for me tastes bad, right? As long as you're thinking that way, you're going to struggle with, with food and health and weight, right? But people who have a more healthy, active lifestyle actually enjoy 
the delicious taste of truly nourishing food. So I hear you talking about shifting tastes. So what is it that you find helpful for women who are caught in this cycle and who are stuck with that limiting belief, thinking the only men who are exciting or who affect me in that way are the ones who are no good for me? What helps them get out of that? Well, one of the things you've touched on just now, and that is self-talk. You know, the first step to changing your life is changing what you say to yourself. And I also, I emphasize in my work, a lot of Carol Dweck's work, a lot of Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset, because I think it's so key to making real fundamental changes in your life. So first step is just changing your mind on whether you can do it. Having a mindset that says, even if it's tough, even if I backslide, I can do this and I'm going to keep going until I succeed. You know, Les Brown, the motivational speaker, he has a saying, it's not over till I win. And if you have that kind of, of mindset, That's where you start. You start by telling yourself, I'm going to change how I think about this because you can change your taste. And I know for myself, I'm glad you mentioned food because for myself, some months ago, I decided I was going to severely reduce any kind of processed food. So processed sugar and wheat products. I have them every two weeks, because I also know a lot about the brain. And if you tell yourself, looking at a piece of cake, I can never have this, it sets up a deprivation mindset and it undermines your efforts. So every two weeks, I allow myself to have time off. But the rest of the time, I eat natural food. And it's amazing. When you stop eating processed sugar, all of a sudden, fruit tastes wonderful. It wakes up all of these taste buds you didn't realize you had. So what I want women to understand is that thrill they get right now from the attraction of the bad boy, the mystery, the sense of danger that he brings. You can actually go on a diet where you don't even crave that anymore. And I can show you how to do it. And guess what? It's not even hard. I love easy. Easy is one of my good <laughs> words. It's not, it's not even hard. And I show you how to do it in the book. Well said. I, I like that. It's, a, it's a, such a positive attitude. And I hear that you're, you're drawing on our capacity for neuroplasticity, this belief yes. in our own capacity to change. So um, without giving away all your secrets that are contained in the book, what are some uh, common themes that women find helpful in shifting their tastes? and uh, adopting that growth mindset. But it's interesting that your taste begins with with your own expectations of yourself as a woman. So Hmm. you have to shift what you think you deserve. The more you feel, and that has to be in a romantic context, because theory after theory has found we're most attracted to people who perceive us, who see us, the way we see ourselves. But we see ourselves in a number of roles. We see ourselves as a daughter. We see ourselves as a sibling, as a friend in our profession. We perceive ourselves one way. 
but we also see ourselves as a romantic partner. And what we have to do in order to change your taste is alter what you feel you deserve as a romantic partner. So that, there are a few things you have, you can do. First of all, change what you're feeding your brain about that. So look at the relationships in the content that you watch, in what you read, in what you say around your girlfriends. What are you applauding? What are you rationalizing? Change that. Have expectations. And I'm not talking about this whole, there's a whole kind of trend that I've seen, this whole queen trend. Mm. Where you see, I'm sure you've seen some of the videos have gone viral where women are saying, any guy that goes out with me, he has to buy me a, an eight carat diamond ring. He has to make at least half a million dollars a year. <laughs> and yes, I'm a receptionist who works part time and I'm <laughs> average looking, but this is what I demand in my partner. Mm. I'm not talking about going that way. That's, that's just kind of odd. Seems like a defense strategy. (laughs) Well, it also is you're setting yourself up for failure. I am Mm -hmm. not setting women up for failure. I'm setting them up for success for healthy, long-term relationships. So Mm -hmm. you have to stop watching content that applauds having no sexual boundaries, Mm. being with men who cheat. I mean, crazy, stupid love epitomizes this to me. In the film, we're supposed to believe that Ryan Gosling's character is completely reformed because he falls in love with Emma Stone's character. Here is a guy who's using pickup strategies, the pickup artist strategies, which is a predatory psychological manipulation strategy to pick up different women every night for sex. And we're supposed to be believe that because he falls in love, all of a sudden he's a loyal partner. It doesn't happen like that. A guy like that would cheat constantly. And there's so much out there where I I constantly see content where women are put in sexual situations by men, by other women, where it's obvious that their character isn't sexually interested in this person, but they just go, go along. They go along and let it happen. And that's teaching women to not have firm boundaries. And that is so dangerous. You cannot attract and keep a good partner without real boundaries about what is okay for you. I see it a lot in the younger generation, this kind of hookup culture. And Mm -hmm. it's so sad that girls are misled about this. Do you think there's also, however unconsciously, kind of a narcissistic fantasy? And I don't mean narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, we all have narcissism within us, right? And there is... I think for many women, kind of this driving narcissistic fantasy that I am, I possess the power to reform the bad boy. Sure, he might have disrespected other women, but when he sees what he has with me, well, then he'll have no choice but to fall in love, right? And and then this kind of repetition compulsion of of playing out that that fantasy over and over and just getting more and more hurt in the process rather than taking that more sober view that I hear you describing that that is about believing behavior, looking at the pattern and, and understanding I'm actually not special enough to get someone else to change their ways. That's a big ask. Well, because none of us can do it. 
Um, and the easiest thing is to actually get a different type of man. And it's it's really interesting because on my podcast, in my Unmasking the Abuser work, I, I keep referencing having a superpower because what I do basically in all of my work, whatever field, I teach people to under see and understand things that other people miss. So it's like seeing another color on the spectrum. And when you see that color on the spectrum, you realize these decisions are not going to take me where I want to go. And I'm not talking about becoming some super uptight person that has, I know someone that had a, a two-page, single-spaced, eight-point font list of requirements for her partner, okay? In my field, I meet a lot of the extremes, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting a good man that meets your expectations, that when you decide to have a committed relationship, it's mutual commitment. There are things you have to put in place in order for that to happen. And I see so many women now who don't even know what that is. They don't know what those things are. They haven't been taught. And the society certainly isn't teaching women what it takes to have a good relationship. You know, for the first time in my career, I'm meeting women in their 30s and 40s who've never had a real relationship. They've always been relegated to being somebody's side piece, you know, the mistress, the temper, not even a girlfriend, a sort of somebody you see every once in a while, um, or part of that hookup culture where they're the booty call. And they've never had anything else and they want a relationship, but they don't know how to get one. And our society right now, the mainstream society is not teaching women what it takes. So you describe your program as a domestic violence prevention program. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of your TED Talk, you explain that there are ways to cultivate greater discernment um, mm -hmm. earlier mm -hmm. on, like you say, learning to see that other culture, uh, uh, other color that's, uh, that's normally not visible. So um, in addition to refining women's tastes, what they expect, what they look for in men. What are some ways that women can learn to recognize uh, abusers earlier on? I think this is an especially important question. I just want to say this because uh, I've worked with so many women with a history of abuse um, who understandably have this fear. Like, how, how do I know I'm not going to make the same mistakes again? How can I learn to trust my judgment this time? It's a big question in therapy for anyone with that kind of history. Um, so what are some of the things that you've discovered women can learn to spot without being necessarily cynical or paranoid or hypervigilant? Well, one of the things I would say, I'm still very much a romantic. I know people in wonderful relationships. I'm very happy for them. Um, a lot of men have taken my training and come up to me afterwards, they were very surprised that I'm not going, oh, men are bad, do this. Mm. What I tell women is this, be wary. Don't let your guard down until you've known him for a while. Because he could be a very genuine person just showing you who he is from the very beginning, or it could be a trick. And if it's a trick, it's going to be an, a very expensive, emotionally expensive mistake to make. If he's real, 
he will not mind you being careful. After all, men don't value what they don't work for. So not making it too easy for him will not, will not turn away a guy who really is interested. So I would say the first step is to remain very wary until you've given it time. I would say three to six months before you feel like you really know this guy, okay? And also, don't jump in. I know so many women who have the beauty shop conversation. So after they break up with a guy, they go in depth about how horrible he was, all the mistakes that they made, what went wrong. They do the, what do they call that? Um, Monday something quarterbacking. It's it's, it's a football Hmm. term about going through all the the mistakes that were made in the football game the day Mm. after. Mm-hmm. Okay. Monday morning quarterbacking, I think they call it after a Sunday game. So these women are very determined not to get abused again, but when they when they have a fixed action pattern, they have a set way of behaving when they become attracted to someone. And that fixed action pattern needs to be interrupted. They have to really think about okay, when I feel that heart race, when I feel the adrenaline rush, when I feel attracted to someone, what do I do? What do I normally do? And you have to get yourself to pull away and just not do that. Just be nice, be friendly. But, you know, if you are the type of person who jumps in fast as soon as you're attracted to someone, you have to stop doing that. So the biggest thing that the women have to do if they want to be safe is interrupt any pattern you have that has led you astray. Just interrupt it. Tell yourself, when I feel this way, this time I'm going to pay attention to how I feel. And when I do education sessions, for instance, we actually do role play. We actually visualize going through, you're meeting this guy, he does this. And I ask people to pay attention to what they feel. So that when they feel it in real life, they actually have tools to interrupt that process so they can keep their brain on longer so that they don't make the same mistakes. And of course, my education program identifies the manipulation tactics that these guys use, the specific tactics they use. Once you know them, you recognize them when you see them. It's not rocket science. In fact, I see the light bulbs going off over people's heads as I describe this. I knew that was a problem. Yes, you did. But now you know why it was important. So I set them out. And as I said, all together, I've only been able to identify 15 primary tactics and five that I call honorable mentions, secondary tactics. and. Once you know the tactics, they're easy to spot. But now you'll know they count. One of the things that happens, too, is that if you're attracted to somebody, you see warning signs. Too many times women will ignore it. Oh, I'm just reading too much into it. And I just took that training. So now everything looks like an abusive relationship. They'll talk themselves out of paying attention. Don't do that. Because if he's a really good guy, He will still be there in three months 
and you can tell me all about it. Send me your wedding invitations and everything else, and I will be so happy for you. I want it to be real, though. I don't want you to be in misery. Oh, by the way, when people contact me on the website that you're going to indicate to find out about my books and programs, I also put together a short document that lists the warning signs, that lists the abuser's tactics. And I, if you email me, I will be happy to send it to you, no cost. Nice. So that's at drdinamcmillan.com. That'll be in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, a few important things you touched on. One is you said that um, at the beginning of a relationship, um, a good guy and a guy who's putting on an act can present the exact same way, right? So yep. in some in some cases, the only way to know is to take time and to be reserved. You also talked about just doing the opposite of what you usually do. I talked about this uh, recently in my episode with Busy Gold, uh, founder of The Break Method, just kind of training yourself to do that thing that feels a little counterintuitive because if the same actions have always led you down the same path, maybe try something different, interrupt the cycle. Um, And and that's sort of in alignment as well with the notion of uh, opposite action from dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, So... That being said, uh, this is great advice. Now you say there are 15 primary tactics, five honorable mentions that are easy to spot. I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but could you tell us uh, some of of your personal favorites that you like to educate people on? Um, Well, I would say I'm going to touch on a couple. One, well, three. One, because I'm going to be speaking at a conference in July, and I was approached because of my TED Talk. And they were talking about noticing that a lot of the things, a lot of the cultural norms being promoted for young women right now remove women's boundaries. And the organizers said, we think we are setting young women up to be abuse victims. And they are absolutely right. So I would say tactic number one that starts at the beginning of the grooming process. It's called testing and training. Mm. So when you are first with a guy, he will test to see what he can get away with. And he'll also start rewarding you with compliments, with promises, with long looks, with anything he can think of. He'll start rewarding you every time he's able to push against your boundary and you don't object, and you actually move back a little bit. So it's like somebody's standing too close, and you're like, oh, that feels a little uncomfortable. So you step back a little, and you go through this, and in a very short period of time, you end up somewhere you never thought you'd go. Pushing against those boundaries, that's what the testing and training is. That is so key. So what, what how it will often manifest is you will make a time to meet with this new guy. You'll say six o'clock at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Okay, there was one down my street when I lived in LA. Okay, you're going to have six o'clock Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. You get there five to six because you don't want to be late. And you're sitting there and he texts you at three minutes to six and says, oh my God, the meeting ran over. I will be there in 15 minutes. I'm looking forward to this. Please don't go. So you're like, oh, you know, stuff happens. So you wait. 
6.15 comes. He's texting you. God, traffic is crazy. I'm still coming. Please wait for me. He doesn't get there until 6.45. When he walks in, he's so nice and a smile and he's grateful and he's rewarding you. Okay. And then he says, oh, let's not sit there. I really want to be able to hear you. Let's go sit over here. So what you don't realize is he is pushed against your boundaries by getting you to comply with his requests, and he'll make a lot of little ones and get you to say, okay, in your brain, we mentioned neuroplasticity, in your brain, he's establishing himself as an authority. So in a very short period of time, he'll be able to just tell you what to do, and you'll comply, and you won't know when you ever signed off your permission. You signed it off from the very beginning. He will do all of the, and they know how, to, how it works. They've done it over and over again. And it does not require an, an genius. It requires cunning. And you can be average intelligence or even slightly below and be cunning and know how to do this. And they use the exact same script over and over so they have it polished to the point it seems spontaneous. But they know they're also part of that testing. If you get upset or if you leave or if he wants to move and you say no, he's also testing to see how easy it is to get you to do what he says. One of the biggest tests for him at that stage is what does he do when you tell him no? Um, I would say another one, everybody hears about this now. Two of the tactics are common knowledge right now. The second one is love bombing. A, a really clever abuser will combine love bombing with hate bombing. So he will combine all of these wonderful compliments and he'll pay attention to you. He'll ask you questions. He wants to know how you want to be seen. And he will reinforce that so he makes you feel good. But at the same time, he's doing something people know of as nagging. He's making little comments, little questions, little points that are making you feel like, oh, does my hair really look funny like this? Would I really look better? Am I, am I being unrealistic in my goals? That will soon turn into real negativity, but he will also draw attention to every flaw, every mistake. So this is all going on at the very early stages. There's also an honorable mention that I talk about called gaslighting. And a lot of your listeners will know about gaslighting. Convincing you something bad that this person did either didn't happen at all or didn't happen the way you remember it. And some of them are very good at gaslighting you. But as I said, the list is, is, is fairly short. Contact me and I'll send it to you. It doesn't cost you anything. I want, I want women to know. I want people to stay safe. How are you sleeping? Sleep is a foundation of mental and physical health, equally important to nutrition and exercise. Yet it's often the first thing to go during times of stress. 
Good sleep can help alleviate depression and anxiety symptoms, maintain a healthy weight and metabolism, protect your heart, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet still, a third of Americans struggle with sleep, and temperature is one of the main reasons. Before I got an eight sleep, I was already an expert in sleep hygiene and practiced what I preached to my clients. But I would still wake up overheated in the middle of the night and unable to fall back asleep for one or two hours. Adjusting the air temperature and blankets was not enough. The mattress itself was keeping me hot. But now, I'm sleeping soundly through the night and waking up refreshed thanks to my 8Sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. If you'd like to be more patient with your children, more emotionally stable with your partner, a fitter athlete, or more efficient at work, take it from me, a mental health professional. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being and the lives of everyone you touch. Go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout to start sleeping cool this summer with up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And yes, to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. I appreciate that um, when you talked about testing and training, you gave these specific examples and you said, what does he do when you say no? That's that's a way that women who are dating can test, mm. not in a manipulative way, but but test to see, if, you know, what kind of character this person has. Um, and, and the examples you gave, they're the sort of things that are really tricky situations to be in because we all want to be understanding if someone's meeting ran late or they're in traffic. You want to be understanding if someone um, says that, oh, this area is too noisy or drafty. Let's move over here. It's the sort of little things where um, saying no to any one individual request kind of makes you look stubborn or selfish, right? And and abusers are good at kind of creating those situations where it just makes sense if you're a nice, decent person to go along with it. But um, what does it look like to hold a boundary and and to see how that person responds to you speaking up for yourself or what it is that you want or need? You said something really important earlier, and it's it's not PC, but my experience and the experience of so many people tells us that this is genu- genuinely or generally pretty true. You said men don't value what they don't work for. I see this mm-hmm. in my counseling practice. I see it with the way that women are treated um, by the men that they date if they are too available. And I also see it when I'm, you know, talking to men who are dating and I can I can hear and I, and I hear it with total, you know, respect for them. I'm not saying that they're abusive, but sometimes I can tell that if a man's dating a woman who she could be great, but if she's too available, he doesn't feel it in his heart. He's not 
working for it. He's not pursuing her. And he wants to feel like he's pursued her, like he's won something. You know, he mm-hmm. wants to feel like like this is a victory that she wants to be his girlfriend or that she wants to go to bed with him, right? So um, so I think you're onto something there. And that is one of those tests that women who are dating can use, that if, if you put up a little bit of an obstacle, if you have a boundary um, where let's say he's going to be 15 minutes late and you're like, oh, sorry, I actually only have an hour um, after this I have to go, you know, how does he respond? Because the kind of guy that is genuinely motivated by the right things is going to rise to that occasion. He does Mm want to earn it. He does want to work for it. He wants to prove that he's worthy of you. Um, So that'll be a good test of character. Whereas the kind of guy that's looking for someone to push around is going to guilt trip you or make you feel um, less at ease. I think good guys want to put women at ease. And while they they're not always successful because good guys can be awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they're making an effort to put you at ease and to earn your affections. Well, I, I would also say this. If this happened to me, um, I would not necessarily not say, okay, you're late, I'm leaving. But I tell women, so here's something reassuring. You don't necessarily have to leave the encounter or leave the day. But your alarm bells should be ringing. So the wariness that I advise women to have anyway, you need to turn it up a notch. So that's the good thing about actually getting the training that we talk about and the education that I talk about is that I give you all these scenarios where when you encounter them in real life, you're like, oh my God, this is what she was talking about. Because I get people telling me that all the time. And they, the thing is, it's eat. Anything like um, hearing no. We talked about the word no. One of the things with abusers is they want to be in control and it makes them very uncomfortable when they're not. It's one of the reasons they move so fast. So if a guy shows the signs that we just talked about, leave early. Leave earlier than you expected. Have your your, your wary glasses on, like the blue, the glasses for the blue light, have your wary glasses on, turn them up a notch. And if he wants to get together again, put him off. Say, oh, Thursday's not bad, not good for me. Uh, I have something going on. If he says, well, what about Saturday? Okay, Saturday's okay. Because if, if he genuinely got held up, then he's really going to want to make it up to you. And, but don't make yourself too available. The first thing he proposes, have something else planned. Say, just say no. And I'm not talking about playing games. I'm not talking about being a witch. I I don't believe in that at all. I'm talking about protecting yourself and setting yourself up as someone that he has to treat with respect. So if, if he, and also see it as a bad sign if somebody compliments you too much when they don't know you yet. We all like to think that we're special and lovely and different and whatever, but a guy who's piling on the compliments, and they'll be good. They won't say, oh, I like your outfit. They'll say, oh, and this I'm saying this because I actually thought it. I love your necklace. That is so great. It goes so well with that. Okay, I really thought that. I'm not trying 
I'm not trying to love bomb Stephanie, but this is what these guys will do. They'll come up with something that, not, that seems genuine to you, but it'll be too much, too many compliments. They'll also try to get you to plan. So there's, there's a future orientation. I call it the fairy tale lore, where they're, they're trying to talk about the future. Oh, gosh, next time I go skiing, you should come with me. You'd love it there. It's fantastic. You've only gone out a couple of times. He doesn't know you well yet. Why is he inviting you to something in six months? So there are, there's a progression, a natural progression, and it has to work this way in order to condition you, to psychologically condition you. So once you know it, you know it. Now the hard part comes. You have to actually pay attention when you see it. Don't talk yourself out of what you see and what you feel. Pay attention to your intuition. What is it telling you? This is helpful. I always come up with the names of my episodes long after they've been recorded, and I'm starting to think maybe ours might be called Dating After Abuse. Not a, This episode isn't for everyone, but it is definitely for a specific subset of women. And I see many of these types of women in my practice sort of always have throughout my career worked with women who have been through abuse and are trying to figure out how do I, how do I not go there again? How do I change my tastes? How do I change what I'm looking for? How do I approach this in a way that's not cynical, but is properly vigilant? How do I care myself with dignity? Right. And, and hold appropriate expectations. Earlier, you described these kind of inappropriate expectations of um, lavish wealth. And I, I remarked that it, it seems like sort of a defense pattern or like an overcompensation because I think a lot of women have felt hurt and, and devalued, whether it's directly by abuse or just by sort of societal norms. And so this sort of grandiose fantasy of being a queen or a goddess and expecting the world is, is like a a reaction to that. But this is really about carrying yourself with a level of poise that invites the type of healthy vulnerability that you want in your life with someone who who you can trust with that vulnerability. Well, I would also call it um, dating after heartache mm -hmm. because a lot of what I do and a lot of the advice I've just given would also work to help the women who are trying to avoid getting involved with a guy who cheats, for instance. Mm -hmm. That's, you and I both know, that's another type of very powerful emotional abuse. Mm. But most people don't think of it that way. Or if you've been with somebody where you did everything right and he just kept holding you off and would never make a commitment, that can be heart-wrenching. So... Any kind of heartache, the advice I'm, I'm talking about and the advice I'm giving works for anyone who's had a pattern. Either they had a long-term relationship with someone who broke their heart, or they've had repeated relationships with men who've broken their heart. That my work, buddy says he loves me, will work with that. Unmasking the abuser will work with that, as well, fascination with the devil. Because as I said, with that book, I specifically focus on how you can work in a simple way, in an effective way, to change what you desire in a man. So mm -hmm. you actually get satisfaction from a man who's loving and cherishes you and is strong without being controlling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
first you have to recognize that you need it. I remember <laughs> that uh, that moment in my life because I, I had a history of bad relationships and then um, sort of hit hit bottom and had a very humbling moment with really coming to terms with what I truly needed. And it was right after that that I met my person and it, my chain, my tastes completely changed. You know, I like recognized I was in the presence of someone who was truly good for me and just felt felt drawn in a healthy way um, to someone who could give me the type of emotional nourishment that I needed in a relationship. And I think before that, maybe there was some being in denial about my real needs. And the way I've the way I've spoken about this in the past is sort of like, you know, if you are wandering through the desert, um, you know you have one priority, and that is to find water and shade, right? Like you you have to make that your mission. Your life is at stake. If you're just wandering willy-nilly without any water, eventually you're gonna die, right? So it's like, it was almost like a life or death moment for me um, when I had that moment of like, no, I need to find water. Like, that's my mission. And anything else is a distraction from that. And I, I think maybe maybe part of the problem is some kind of cultural trends of the extending adolescence into the 20s. Um, you know, Meg Jay wrote about this in The Defining Decade. She gave a, a TED Talk called White 30 is Not the New 20. Um, and a lot of uh, uh, people have been sort of commenting on this trend of the 20s being like this throwaway decade where mm-hmm. people aren't thinking about their futures and just feel like they have all the time in the world. It's become very culturally normative, but it doesn't uh, fit with our evolutionary history. I mean, throughout mm-hmm. most m- most of time, uh, women in their 20s were having um, children and, and, you know, deeply involved in, in home life and that sort of commitment and grounded adult life. So while it's great that we have such long lifespans and medical technology and um, that we have the ability to make choices about when we take on the responsibility of parenting or if, um, while I think, you know, there's there's much to be said in favor of having these options as women, it does kind of come with that setback where Maybe we've been trained to be a little unrealistic or frivolous about what it is that we really need, and and it makes us take a little longer to grow up sometimes and recognize that our emotional needs, um, while while we may not feel them as viscerally, they are on some level as life or death as making sure that we have the water and food and shelter that we need. Well, I also I don't I don't belittle the pain that you feel in your twenties. I have neighbors in their 20s who come to me. Uh, I met them because one of them locked themselves out of her apartment. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And I gave her a copy of But He Says He Loves Me and it's made the rounds of the building. So I'm going to have to do some sort of reading in my building when fascinated with uh, fascination with the devil because these, these young women have really bad relationships with men. And I look at it and think to myself, what are they really missing out on? If they found Mm -hmm. someone they could commit to, it would be easier for them to have children at that age because fertility issues start to come in in the 30s. They'd be missing out primarily on a lot of heartache. You can get a babysitter and still go to a concert when you have children. You're not stuck in the house in prison. 
but there's no reason we've been we've been told a lot of things and taught a lot of things and i don't mean necessarily directly but a lot of the cultural norms that are targeted to young people are leading them in a direction that isn't going to give them strong healthy happy lives and as i said the good thing about being older is that i get a chance to see the trends changing over time as i mentioned some of the things that are normal now the types of of relationship problems that are normal for me to encounter now were rare when i first started most of the people i knew in fact it like there's a displacement one of the big issues when i first began doing relationship consulting was in-law issues and that was a big significant chunk but it wasn't you know i'm i'm 30 38 and i've never really even had a boyfriend i i think i had met one woman in her early 40s who never who wanted a relationship and had never had one i see it all the time now mm. because we're being told that promiscuity is as satisfying as a genuine relationship and it's just not true That's like saying those cheap cookies you get in the aisle are just as satisfying as a well-made meal with full nutrition. It's just not true. And I don't know keeping the food analogy going. I don't know if you've ever eaten a long time ago, probably before most of your audience was around. They had uh some cookies i have to remember to call them cookies and not biscuits because i live in australia <laughs> um called snack wells and they became very popular because they were fat free cookies but they also without that fat they had no satisfaction what's a cookie without fat come on well because it was during that whole low fat no <laughs> fat, fat free phase. phase yeah and we were being Lies. told the secret the secret to health was was to cut fat out of your diet allies. Um, <laughs> it was it was it was funded by the sugar industry by the way. Mm. So of course, but you ended up eating that. a whole box of these cookies because you were just waiting for that satisfaction that never quite came. And yeah. I've heard men talking about this a lot because of course I deal with a lot of men as well. The whole premise, the, the whole reason my prevention program for abuse works is because I've had in-depth interviews with so many hundreds of abusive men. Most people work one side of the aisle or the other. They don't do both. I've done both and I've continued to work with men. And they talk about the emptiness of promiscuous sex. How, you know, they're taught that this is supposed to be what they want. And as soon as they get it, it just leaves this emptiness there. And some of course some guys try to fill it by just doing this over and over and over and over again. some of them wise up and say i need something that's going to feed me longer and so they look for more than just casual sex and we're we're this hookup culture thing is is cheating both sides and i think not i have never lost the interest of a guy because i've told him no i've never lost the interest of a guy because i said i value myself highly and i don't just say it I don't say anything about it. It's just how I treat myself. I treat them well. I'm respectful. 
But I also respect myself. And if someone disrespects me, I'm gone. That's it. But I won't disrespect him either. So it's interesting. I didn't I didn't think when I started my career, I thought women would be a lot further along than we are now. We've gone back so many mm. steps. Wow. We are so much worse off than when I was in. That's 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 sad to hear. I'm curious about um the cultural differences that you've seen because you are from the US, you live in Australia, you've also worked with people in the UK. And I've lived um, in the are, UK as well, and, and okay. Germany, and France. So all westernized, <laughs> Western. Western cultures with a lot in common, but um, what differences have you observed between these cultures with regards to dating? Well, um, I would say, here's something that may surprise a lot of your listeners, depending on where they are. People short-sell American men. Hmm. American men are much in demand because in our culture, I know a lot of people who are very progressive, value the progressive culture, but it's that conservative set that's significant of guys who believe in, you know, protecting their families and taking care of their families and having a wife and kids that they are there for. And that kind of cultural norm is enough of our culture in America that American men are actually highly in demand worldwide as partners. Really? Yes. If I had to choose a nationality of the cultures, countries that I've lived in, Mm -hmm. the last place would be France. Mm. I found the French culture to be, I, I just don't see what women really get out of it. I mean, the men feel that they're just, God's gifts, and no, I'm not not impressive. Hmm. Um, I'd say um, American men would be at the top. Interesting. Men from any particular part of the U.S.? Because um, there are cultural differences in regions. Yes, there are. I would say in my own, I'm a military kid, so I've lived in various parts. So I, I would see. say, I'm trying to think, I, Northeast would be my least favorite part find hmm. a good guy um my favorite state for really great men virginia virginia yes i've met hmm. more really solid decent men who were also really good looking in virginia second would be texas god bless what- texas <laughs> <laughs> that's where men say yes ma'am well that's where you know they're they're solid. What you mm. want in somebody who's, who's going to make a commitment to you is someone who knows how to make a commitment. Somebody mm. who's disciplined, who has respect, who has expectations you treat him with respect to. You don't want a guy, mm-hmm. the type of guy they now call soy boys. I live in a neighborhood <laughs> that is very upscale in Brisbane. There mm. is no testosterone in my neighborhood. <laughs> Skinny, weak guys that are like, you know, we had a little something happen. And the the young guys were all looking to me to know what to do. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like any Texan man. (laughs) Where the, you know what, though, I have to, I have to admit, though, if I went further from the city, 
Mm. I live in Queensland. Queensland is like the Texas of Australia. Mm. So they are very solid, masculine, solid values, love their families, pay their taxes, treat people with respect, work hard. Yes, definitely. So all your listeners, if you want a guy from Australia, make sure that he's from Queensland, okay? Not not, not Melbourne, not Sydney. <laughs> no, no, no. Get yourself a nice, solid Aussie. Well, yeah, I'm, but- I'm in... I'm engaged to a nice Midwestern boy. He's from Ohio. He's uh, very oh, kind yes. and gentle. And Yes. <laughs> Midwestern guys are great. As I said, Northeast is probably my least favorite. But I want to tell you, American men don't know, realize what they have. Because hmm. one difference I would say with Australia is Australians have a, a what they call the mateship culture. Where hmm. it's it, it has parallels to the black culture when they say bros before hoes kind of thing where it's the guys have a really strong bond but they don't really bond as strongly to their partners Hmm. the general american culture males are expected to prioritize their girlfriend and their wife much more so than here in australia interesting so, well, I hope that this is useful to all our, um, our all our single ladies in the audience. Who are I swear, you know, what, <laughs> maybe I thinking sh- about relocating. Well, you know, I should set up a, a, a matchmaking service. Ooh, you know, an international because I'm that not good. Fun. I'm working in the UK as well. I'll be going there soon, and I've lived there before, and I know some really gay, great British guys, and they have that accent. You know. So, Shall I invite people to contact you for personal matchmaking services? You never know. If you have guys listening, too, I need, you know, I just want good people to have good relationships with each other. Yeah. I'm so tired of seeing, because I also counsel really solid, wonderful men who get involved with absolutely terrible women. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my episodes of my Unmasking the Abuser podcast, I actually do it for men so they know how to spot an abusive woman. I don't want anybody to be abused. I don't care what sex you are. It has to do, though, with cultural norms making women far more vulnerable to getting involved and staying involved with an abusive man than the other way around. So women are just more likely to get into this. Now, one of the things I should also mention, I did something in Fascination with the Devil that I usually don't do. People have commented on the fact that I never really, other than saying where I've lived, I don't really talk about my own life in my work. But in Fascination with the Devil, I thought it would only be fair. So I mentioned a guy that I fell madly in love with in my 20s. And he. I look back now and it's completely cringeworthy. So I want people to understand I am not coming from a place of judgment, but from a place of assessment. And this is how you do better next time. It will be interesting, though, Stephanie, if people do contact me and say, I'm looking, if I get enough people, you know, you never know. Offering a fascination with the devil training. I don't have a training program around that yet, but I could get one if there is enough interest. If women really just, and we would do it, of course, 
in person and online because mm-hmm. I realize it's it's a global communication right now that I don't want people to be limited by where they live. I know that my podcast, I get emails from 19 countries for my podcast series. So there are a lot of people around the world paying attention to these issues and wanting to know what to do. And I've, I've altered the culture. When I deliver in-person education, for instance, I customize it according to who's going to be in the group. I can customize it by age, sex, culture, education, any profession, because I do professional training for the, uh, the abuse programs. But I, I'm so used to customizing it, I would have no problem of customizing it by nationality hmm. and talking about what, because I would research what cultural norms are leading these women into bad relationships with men and actually seeing that as normal. What we have to work against, and you know this, you're a therapist, we have to work against what we normalize. And it has nothing to do with being masochistic or not having high standards. It has to do with how our brain works. Our brain will adapt to any situation that we find ourselves in if we perceive ourselves as being unable to get out of that situation. And again, we're talking mindset. If your mindset says, this is my life now, your brain is going to do everything it can to normalize that. So it's going to to put cotton wool around some of the painful things so that they don't hurt quite as much as they did initially. And it's going to get you to ignore some things that are really bothersome just so you aren't always walking around in a state of high alert or high stress. You have to be able to function. And your brain's real primary goal is to allow you to be able to function. So I have done, in my relationship consulting, I have done consulting for women, not just women who are in abusive relationships, but also women who are strippers, who are prostitutes, and they come to see me at the beginning of them making the active decision to get out of the life. Wow. And initially, they give me all the rationalizations for why it's not as bad as they said or what people think. They show me how they've adapted. But then as they start taking active, real-world steps to get out of that life, the floodgates open, the trauma emerges, and they, can, they get a clarity that allows them to see the situation that they couldn't see while they were in it because their brain was protecting them from it. But it's another reason why so many people in painful lifestyles use a lot of methods to self-medicate. Because it's a way of softening the pain of a situation they don't feel they can get out of. Seems like the um, that type of work, that lifestyle, has become a lot more prevalent with things like OnlyFans. There's this whole culture 
um, pressuring girls to think of, you know, selling videos of themselves as a normal thing, right? When they're in a, in a crucial stage of identity development. I know. Well, as I said, it's, it's interesting because I'm old enough and have enough experience. And as I said, very few people, I'm kind of in a previous era, if I had been a boy, I would have been the son that went to sea. I mean, it's very unusual for someone to have lived in five countries, especially in America. We don't tend to do that. And I'm looking at, at what we're being sold and the cultural norms that are being sold to people now. And I've been told, wow, you're conservative. What made me conservative is that I do my research. There's a lot of research on what works and what doesn't. Being on OnlyFans is not going to set you up for a positive life. At making decisions, risky decisions with the possibility of short-term gain, it sets you up in a wide range of problems. You look at the women. I have a niece who was talking about Megan the Stallion and the way she presents herself and um, Cardi B and some of these other women whose imagery is like the basest prostitute on the, in the earth. And that's what they sell to the world and they sell it as empowering. And she said, well, she's in control of her image, which is a script line that she's the women repeated and that people that are promoting this are repeating, but it's just not true. Look at their relationships. They get cheated on. They get hit. Um, look at women like Rihanna. She was absolutely brutalized. I'm not saying I'm blaming her. What I'm saying is that while you're looking at these women as being empowered for making these choices, look at the whole picture, not just the outfit. You know, they have some nice clothes. Well, I can introduce you to a hundred heavily abused women with nice clothes. And they would give all of it and have, a lot of them have given all of that up to be in a relationship with a decent man who treated them with respect. So yes, some of the things, when you talk about what are some easy steps for women to start getting better relationships, you have to carry yourself differently. You have to expose, you have to start editing what you put in your brain. Keep in mind the parts of the brain that make your life choices, that decide your partner and all that. It's not the rational part. It's your limbic brain and your primal brain that make those decisions. And those parts of your brain have no filter. So when you're exposing yourself to content, you're watching Netflix and, and all of these HBO and all of these programs where these women are, are making these decisions that in real life would lead them on a dark road really fast. But it, because it's fantasy, they show them being rewarded for this. You make those same decisions. You have to not expose yourself to that. Don't set yourself up for that. It's not true. Expose yourself only to content where people have solid relationships, where the women get treated with respect. As a therapist, I've gotten an up-close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out. Turns out, it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being, like diet and exercise. 
But as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar. And it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving your cells the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. Do you have any recommendations for that content? I've, I've often had this conversation with, with clients when I've worked with people in psychotherapy where they didn't have any good examples. Um, you know, maybe their parents were divorced or there was abuse in the home and they've I've worked with people in their 20s, 30s, 40s who have never had exposure to healthy relationships that they would want to model their own relationships after. So um, so then we talk about, well, if you can't think of anyone you know, let's think about shows, movies, you know, even if it's fictional, at least it gives you some kind of template to alter, um, excuse me, to internalize. Um, do you have any favorite shows or movies or novels that kind of show those types of stories? That That's an interesting question because I'm trying to think, well, one of the things I would absolutely say is stop at 2010. <laughs> yeah. Because even shows and things that I've seen that have solid things going around 2010, 2015, everybody felt duty-bound to start adapting their script lines and the so that it, it was completely unrealistic and went and also you know met this narrative of of promiscuity's okay and 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 just the relationships between the people there i mean even when my daughter was small i noticed that and when i say before 2010 but also watch out for shows if you have children, watch out for shows because a lot of things starting probably in the late 90s, early 2000s, always showed young people being smarter than their parents. And guess what? You really aren't. I know that so many of the choices I made, including the numpty I got involved with that's in fascination with the devil, if my mom had been around she would have taken one look at him and she would have set me straight, okay? I avoided so much trouble when I listened to my mom. She actually knew what she was talking about. Mm. Um, but you started seeing content where young people were always smarter than their parents. There's a lot of, of norms now 
to sneak around around your parents' back. Mm. It's being allowed, applauded, condoned. Um, easy thing to do. Just look at the relationships of the people in whatever content you're reading or watching. If it's not something, if if you put yourself in the place of, of the person you identify with most, if that's not realistic, if it's not positive, if the person is doing, just pay attention. Because our brain doesn't understand what a TV is. It doesn't understand what a film is. We will adapt. It will adapt to the norms we constantly encounter and we fill our brains with. It will embed those norms in our brains. We have to be very careful. So I know for myself, I canceled Netflix a long time ago. After that whole cuties debacle, I was having problems with it anyway. But that cuties film showed these little nine-year-old girls twerking and everything else. And they put a, a throwaway line at the end of the film, I was told, saying, oh, this isn't what you want to do. But the whole film applauded that. So on my program, I talk about how you can do this. It's really hard to do in just a, a short little soundbite. But what you have to do is start paying attention to what you encounter. What are the values? Our brains are made to translate what we encounter. I think the easiest way to explain this is like I do in my seminars. Here's a really brief way I explain it in my seminars. And I, here's the suggestion for your audience. Watch the British version of Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Watch that with a certain mindset. I want you to think of Sherlock Holmes as your limbic brain, as the subconscious part of your brain, okay? Think of Dr. Holmes as your neocortex, your logical, rational brain. They, the two of those two guys together describe the brain. And in, when you have the unconscious mind, the primal brain, Sherlock Holmes completely represses that and he, it comes out anyway through his addictions and things like that. But our, our brain is easily able to pick up clues from the people we encounter. You'll notice that Sherlock, when somebody says something, Dr. Watson takes that person as their word. Well, they said this. Sherlock says, but did you notice his hands moving and wiggling when he said it? Did you notice that he kept looking away? Did you notice his clothes that didn't match what he was saying? So he's picking up all of these clues that are, they are like our brain. Our own brain does that. It is as smart as Sherlock Holmes. And what it does, it picks up social messaging. It picks up the under, it, it, it deciphers the, the underlying messages in the content that we come across. So watch any program, pick up any magazine and start deciphering what's really being sold to you there. Look at, I use this in my training for young people. We get magazine covers for magazines for women. 
and we look at who gets attention. So who, what does the model look like? What are the headlines? Which headlines have the biggest lettering? What are they all trying to get you to do? And once you start pointing it out, I've never had a group where every person in that group could not pick it up. They understood, they could see. Our brains know how to do this. So what you need to do is start deciphering the messaging in the content that you read and that you watch. Are they healthy relationships? Is this person a good man who's a person of his word? Does he prioritize his family? Is the woman loving and nurturing to him? Does she treat her partner with respect? And one thing you can say, I am not a hypocrite. When I sold my house in Melbourne, there was a couple that came early that made an appointment and they wanted to buy my house. And I told my real estate agent not to sell it to them. The way she talked to her husband was horrible. And I had worked very hard to have a really positive energy in my house. And I was like, you've got to find me somebody else to buy this. So I ended up selling it to the most wonderful woman with this beautiful little girl. We had coffee. It was great. But don't expose yourself to this in real life. You have couples that are friends of yours where one of them is always criticizing the other or disrespecting the other, you could still like them. See them separately. Don't see them together. Don't expose yourself to this stuff. Once you stop exposing yourself to this stuff, you'll start standing back and saying, what was I thinking? Because you have to develop a new normal. Healthy relationships has to be your new normal. And it doesn't come from hookup culture. It doesn't come from OnlyFans. It doesn't come from rationalizing why it's not bad that every show you see right now, that's these shows always have pornography in them, people humping on each other, unnecessary nudity, rape scenes everywhere. Don't expose yourself to that. Don't normalize it. You keep it. It actually marks you. It's like somebody takes a permanent marker and just wipes it across you every time you do this. Don't put that stuff on yourself. I'll tell you one of my favorite shows for modeling relationships that I think are um, healthy but also realistic, really like growth-oriented. Have you seen the show Parenthood? No. I think it's beautiful. It's uh, six seasons long, and it follows this one large family through multiple generations as the um, adult children of the grandparents are struggling to raise their own families and each kind of having their own trials and tribulations. So it's very human. It's it's by no means perfect, but it it shows, I think, something really beautifully. It shows the depth of attachment bonds and the process of rupture and repair, parents learning from their mistakes, apologizing to their children when they make mistakes, people growing together and moving through infidelity, moving through various challenges that come up. So that's no, sort that's of nice my, my anchor. Yeah, it's it's very realistic in my view, but in, in an inspiring way. And it's also, it's telling because I was 
like as you were talking, I was thinking, I was like, what shows would I come up with? Parenthood is one I can always refer to. But when I think of beautiful relationships in shows, you know, what came to mind was Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, where it's all about after his wife died. (laughs) It's, 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 it's a, it's a beautiful show, um, but it's about grief and loss, but all the memories that he has of his wife are so beautiful. And um, the way that they played and bantered together and the way that they loved each other for all of their flaws, I, I find really beautiful. And I think sometimes it's in death that we remember to um, cherish those moments with our loved ones. Um, well, before I let you go, I definitely wanted to at least invite you to tell us about this program that you developed called Healing the Rift. I know we've been talking, um, our primary focus today has turned out to be about dating after heartache, which I think is a wonderful topic. I know so many people who need this information, um, but I would love for you to tell us about Healing the Rift. Well, I just, like everyone else, I was watching the news um, after the George, after George Floyd died and the Black Lives Matter movement gained a lot of prominence and people rushing to make try to make amends. So some of the people taking advantage of the situation, other people well-intentioned but misguided. And I was examining what came out, including critical race theory gaining prominence, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion becoming a big thing right now. And so I studied the materials and I went, oh my God, because as a social psychologist, we don't just study power dynamics and how people learn, how they're persuaded, how they're manipulated, how they're coerced, how they're brainwashed. We study all of that, but we also study flow, flow out from actions, you know, if you do this, what is a logical progression sideways? Who else is it going to impact? But we also study flow on. What are the logical next steps from this? And of course we have to, because a lot of manipulative tactics have pieces. They're done a little at a time. Indoctrination happens a little at a time. It's not something that happens all at once. You don't just indoctrinate someone. You have to, it's a process. So having to learn processes, we had to learn flow on. And I'm looking at the natural flow on from a program that is telling black people, you will never be accepted. This whole, the foundation of everything in our society is designed to oppress you telling all white people, you are an oppressor, you're racist whether you know it or not. Um, Number one question, who wins with that? And number two, what will be the natural outgrowth? And a lot of white people were bullied into participating because they were told you either go along with us or you're a horrible racist and we'll make you lose your job. They were literally bullied. And I looked at this and I said, bullying is what I work against. Because after all, what is an abuser but a bully? A bully that you live with, okay? And said, so me being dissatisfied by something is always just a step one. And I was like, your bias work that you've had to to do as a social psychologist would, would fit very well here. 
So I put an anti-bias program together called Healing the Rift. And I actually started, um, because everybody was going virtual during COVID, I was actually able to offer it um, with some components of it with my older sister who lives in Minneapolis. Politically, we are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And we came together on what mattered to us in the middle and we taught this program. So I've noticed there's so much in our culture right now that seems designed to divide people. You know, you have celebrities now saying, if you vote this way, don't come to my concerts. People selling food, saying only people who vote this way or have these beliefs are allowed to eat my food or buy my products. It is very, very divisive. So what I I, I called the program what the program does, and that's Healing the Rift, looking at all kinds of bias and saying, okay, this is why it's there. First of all, it's natural. I put a couple of videos online with Healing the Rift, one called Bias Isn't Bigotry, and also Why You're Not a Racist, because I wanted to communicate quickly to white people that they changed the definition of racism. It went from something that you actively participated in voluntarily, you embraced not respecting or liking races other than your own. It was an active decision to something passive. Just because of what you look like, you're now a racist. So I go through and explain what racism is. I've also done videos where I explain systemic racism and ancient racism, why we had these racial, racial divisions and the fact that there are some racial components that still exist. We don't, it doesn't help anybody to lie about that. But you don't get rid of them like that. Critical race theory is not helping. DEI isn't helping. You have to look at all of it as bias and then make efforts to get people to welcome making less biased decisions. But we do it together. We do it as one culture, Western culture, because I can do it in any of the cultures I've lived in. I can teach the same program. I adapted it a little bit for the UK because their racial history is slightly different than the US. But it's the same human drives, bias is a natural way of thinking of things. And we can have bias for or against. But we can also learn to recognize when our choices and decisions are being made from bias. And I offer some simple tips on how to reduce it. One of them is just simply taking your time. Recognizing that you actually have a feeling positive or negative, towards whomever you're making a decision about, taking a deep breath, standing back and saying, okay, let me get information before I make this choice. So I don't let my bias make the choice for me. It's not hard. And it's a win-win. Because I want, I want the country, I've never seen a country so divided. I want us to get back together again. Well, that sounds healthy and sane. 
I'm a big fan of sanity. <laughs> I, as somebody, I mean, I moved to Australia and I didn't know anybody here. Um, Adventurous. But that only comes when you have some measure of expectation of acceptance. Mm. What is your likelihood of moving to a foreign country where you don't know anyone, where the vast majority of people don't look like you? What are your chances of doing that if you think you're, that anybody that doesn't look exactly like you is going to reject you? It would be all too hard. You'd make so many excuses why you couldn't do it. And you'd miss out on a wonderful opportunity. Mm. I, I have to give some kudos to the Australians. They're wonderful people. They could work on the romantic aspect a little bit, okay, but... As people, there's nobody better. They're fantastic. So, and I loved living in England. Paris, I mean, how, who wouldn't want to live in Paris when, they, when I left home, I moved to Paris. So, and I went to high school in Germany. And my first boyfriend was German. So, I, I can't be bi- and I'll, I just don't have a bias. I try to keep the bias down when I'm dealing with people. I see people as nice people, not nice people. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I group them. <laughs> and even the not nice people, sometimes they're not nice because they're traumatized or because they're scared. Mm-hmm. And if you can work at getting them to open up and trust you, it's amazing how they often turn into nice people. Yeah. Well, Dina, thank you. This has been lovely. So um, your books, we will put those in my bookshop. So at sometherapist.com slash bookshop for listeners who aren't already aware, you can find at the very top, uh, anyone who's been on my show who's written a book, their book is there. And then there's also all kinds of other book recommendations um, from me there. We'll also include um, Amazon links for your books in the show notes, as well as your website, drdinamcmillan.com. You also have a TED Talk and a podcast, again, called Unmasking the Abuser. So lots of stuff to follow up on. Um, Dina, are you on any social media? Yes, they can, they can follow me on Twitter. Um, my Instagram and Facebook, I have a fa- I'm on Facebook, so they can catch put Dr. Dina McMillan and they can find me on Facebook. I have to admit that I don't use Facebook as, as, as much as I do Twitter because Facebook is a little bit more awkward to use. And when I put up information about abusive relationships and for instance, and talked about the gender bias that, you know, there are cultural norms that make women more vulnerable to being in abusive relationships. They censored it. And I don't like being censored. So I'm even thinking of getting a video program and putting it on Twitter because they're having growing pains right now because the new CEO seems to love love censorship too. But she she and Elon seem to be having a bit of a tussle. So I'm hoping Elon wins on this because I want to be able to discuss real issues without being told you can't say that. So. Fair. And what is your handle on Twitter? Uh, I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> I've been That's... off Twitter for a couple of weeks, believe it or not. I've been actually taking a break. So. 
Well, one of the things I was actually thrown is Dr. Dana McMillan. Oh, that's wow. Your whole name fits on Twitter. That's incredible. Well, um, also because I felt a lot of what I was saying is factual, but not politically correct. Mm-hmm. And I felt that some of us with credentials needed to be willing to put our head above the parapet yeah. and say, this is what's really going on. So many of the, of the professionals who follow me have pseudonyms they use on social media because they're afraid of the backlash they would get voicing opinions based on solid, rigorous evidence. And I said, somebody's right got to be willing to do it. So yeah. That's I got what our credentials are for. <laughs> yes. Well, I got, I got thrown off for a while when Twitter was being heavily censored, but mm. it's a valuable forum because it's one place I can find the news because mm-hmm. speaking of censorship, the Australian media is very, very biased. So I can find out what's happening in the world much faster on Twitter than I can from reading the news here in Australia. Interesting. Yeah. So. All right. So people can follow you on Twitter at Dr. Dana McMillan. They can go to drdanamcmillan.com. They can find your books on at my bookshop in the show notes. Um, and I think that just about sums it up. Dana, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. To check out my book recommendations, articles, wellness products, guest episodes on other podcasts, consulting services, and lots more, visit sometherapist.com. Or follow me on Twitter or Instagram at sometherapist. If you'd like to go deeper, join my community at somekindoftherapist.locals.com. Members can dialogue with other listeners, post questions for upcoming podcast guests to respond to, or ask questions for me to respond to in exclusive members-only Q&A live streams. To learn more about the gender crisis, watch our film, No Way Back, The Reality of Gender-Affirming Care, at nowaybackfilm.com. Special thanks to my producers, Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix, and to Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. If you appreciate this podcast and want more people to find it, kindly take a moment to rate, review, like, comment, and share on your platforms of choice. Of course, just because I am some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.